First Peter chapter 5. Peter writes, he says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to, to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And a God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon to get chosen together with you sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. End of that letter. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at a few of the concluding thoughts there from, from Peter. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we thank you to, just to be able to to gather together in, in person, to sing together, uh, to, to open your word together and consider the, the words of your apostle Peter. Father, we uh, we do thank you. We thank you for all that we've learned thus far in, in you know from from First Peter, God. And we just pray, you help us, God. Help us to be a people that don't that don't merely just hear the word, but help us to be those that that, that integrate it into our lives, God, day in and day out. Father, we do pray so much for, for Cameron's dad and Lance. God, we would pray that you help him to turn to you in a, in a deeper uh, and more profound way than he ever has in his life, God. Uh, we pray for Anna and, and the baby as well, as well as all the doctors, God. You just give them, uh, obviously, great strength uh, and, and wisdom and decisions they make, God. And help us to, uh, to be able to share great joy with her uh, as their baby comes, uh, hopefully, tomorrow. Uh, again, be with us now as we look at your word. Uh, help us. God, uh, you know, anytime we consider the, the idea uh, of pride and humility, God, we know we need your help, God. Uh, help us uh, to, to be a people uh, that fix our eyes on you and on you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. What is a, uh, you know, the closing of, of, uh, of a letter? Uh, and, you know, it's a little bit of a, uh, as it usually is at the hodgepodge, you know, at the end, right? Uh, you know, throwing everything in. P.S. PSS, right? Uh, you know, and it, you know, it's a little bit of a bullet point, uh, you know, format. But there are kind of, you know, two main threads that run throughout this, right? Uh, the, the dynamics of leaders and submitting to leaders, uh, you know, obviously has a great deal to do with humility, right? And then of course he, he gets right into humility in there in, in, in the middle of our, our, our section there, uh, and then he closes with with a warning in some sense, you know, to resist our enemy, Satan prowls like a roaring lion. 
you know, <laughs> and, and so we'll look at these two threads uh, as we uh, as we consider Peter's final thoughts. And then, so humility in our relationships and a resistance to our enemy. All right. So for, first one in terms of here, you know, Peter's instructions, you know, to to the elders among you, you know, and there's great debate. There's many books written and commentaries written over. You know, what, what, what is Peter using the, the word elder in a sense for? All right. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know, uh, generally uh, the Jewish synagogue were, were organized by, you know, had to have 10 older older men, uh, and they would generally be regarded as the elders, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, that's kind of a natural thing in a patriarchal society. Older men are going to be get, garner more and more respect, right? Uh, even in the time of Jesus, though, as you read the Gospels, you can see that it's often... You know, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders. And so this seems to be, you know, that doesn't mean when it says that in the New Testament, it's not saying like every single older man in Israel was gathered together, right? That probably is not going to happen, right? And so even in Jesus' time, it became more of a formal office, perhaps. And then even in the New Testament letters, right, specifically Paul's letters, you can see elders develop into an actual office or position of leadership within the church, right? You can read Paul's, you know, Paul's letters to, to, uh, to Timothy and Titus both addressed uh, in detail that the need for that position. Right? And Paul, you know, second missionary journey uh, throughout the Mediterranean world, went around to different churches appointing elders. Right? Uh, you know, and, and with all that said, I do think it's, you know it's important for us to think about. Right? Uh, you know that 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 is ultimately the goal even here in Perth is for Perth to have an eldership, right? Uh, and that has specific. Uh, role as we see even in this text, right? But there's also the sense where Peter is using elder, and it means uh, just simply shepherd or leader, right? So there's carryover, right? Peter's not just talking specifically about the office of elders. Probably also has in view simply leadership. But at the same time, you know, it's important for us to understand that is ultimately what we need to work towards uh, as a church, and that's why we need more and more uh, men growing and maturing in their faith so that they can serve in this capacity. Right. But you think about even how he here at the end of his letter is addressing this uh, right before he gets into uh, that topic of pride and humility, uh, because there's nothing that exposes pride quite like authoritative structures. Right. There's nothing that quite quite has a way uh, of bringing it out in our heart, uh, you know, exposing the pride that's been there all the time. Uh, other than, you know, an authoritative structure, right? And it, authority is not bad, right? Uh, you know, we, we, again, we, 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 we are heavily culturally influenced at time by this, by this idea, uh, and, and we get these misguided notions even of freedom. Uh, there is good authority and bad authority in the world. You can flip through the news and figure that out on your own pretty quickly, right? But it doesn't mean you throw out authority, right? I mean, you see this, right? Uh, authority in itself is neutral. It can be used badly and it can be used positively, right? Uh, it can't be, uh, you know, purely evil because, man, Jesus had a lot of authority, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and but there is something about it where it can draw out pride, both in those in leadership and in those being led, right? Uh, and here, Peter has some pretty specific things to say to those who are leaders, Right? That there is a wrong way to approach uh, their position in leadership. And if they approach it as it is a duty, they're doing it simply out of obligation, not out of the desire, that's wrong. That's the wrong approach. The Bible, you know, Jesus tells other, other 
you know, has other sections of teachings on this where he warns about, man, being a hired hand. Kind of just doing it just to do it, ticking the box. No, no, it's got to be, you got to be motivated by deeper qualities. You got to be motivated by love. All right. Uh, if you approach the position of leadership for what you gain, all right, not just financially in the sense, uh, the, the phrase he uses there for dishonest gain could just mean really like any kind of gain. Right? I mean, there, there is, uh, you know, uh, lots of worldly reasons to be in leadership. Right? Uh, if you like telling people what to do rather than being told what to do, that's kind of the wrong motivation for pursuing leadership. Right? Uh, you're not meant to, to enter in leadership within the church for the idea of what do I get out of it. It needs to be about others. How can I give? How can I help people to flourish? You know, and just like Jesus warns as he teaches his disciples about uh, not lording it over those you are in charge of, Right, like the Gentiles do, as Jesus says. Right, you're, you're meant to to lead them like a servant. Right, uh, and so Peter has something to say about that. And all three of those, which you could have an entire sermon on each of those three three topics that he lists there, all three of them do have this common thread, though. Right, uh, and the common thread is 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 how are you going to do it? How are you going to lead? Are you going to lead from the heart of pride, which says you, you your life for my gain? I'm going to use you to better myself. Or the way of humility, which says, I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to pour out my life for your sake. All right? Which one? Which path are you going to go down if, if you're a leader? All right? Uh, and even for the followers, right? For, for, for either those, again, there's lots of debate on what he, why he uses the word younger. Does he just mean younger in the faith? Uh, or does he, you know, just talking about younger people who naturally tend to be a little bit more rebellious? You know, teenagers to, I don't know, uh, maybe mid-30s now. I don't know. Right. But that age group tends to be a little bit more rebellious, uh, haven't necessarily learned, you know, haven't gained the humility that life gives. Because life has a way of simply teaching you, you don't actually have everything figured out. Your way is often not actually the correct way that maybe your parents had some things correct. and, And, you know, life has a way of teaching that. Right. And so is Peter just talking to younger people in that sense, age wise, or is he talking to them spiritually or is he just kind of. Uh, being gentle and, and referring to everyone else as younger after having just addressed the leaders. I think it's probably the latter, right? Talking talking to everyone else, uh, you know, and, and he drops the dreaded S word again. Submission. You know, if you were with us as early as we went through first, Peter, Peter has had a lot to say about submission. Right? I mean, the entire kind of meat of the letter, chapter 2 all the way through chapter 3, is all about submission. And he goes through every different aspect uh, of our lives from uh, submission to the governing authorities, right? Again, which is Rome, which is kind of shocking, right? Uh, you may get frustrated with Australia and feel like it's a uh, police state with all the speed cameras, uh, but that's nothing compared to the Roman Empire, right? But yet Peter nonetheless says, hey, you gotta, you got to submit to them, right? You submit to the governing authorities, right? Uh, he talks about that within the workplace, in the household, right? Your bosses, slaves and masters, challenging, Right? He goes into the household talking about wives, submit to your husbands. Right, Husbands think, oh man, I'm doing great. But then he really turns around and says the same thing to husbands, though, of being considerate with, to your wives, which essentially is the same thing as being submissive to your wife. Because it's actually a little bit more challenging if you think about it, because it's saying you, you need to yield to her needs without her even saying what those needs are. Which is a profound mystery sometimes for, for, for many of us men, so be patient with us, right? But, but again, a lot of the letter has been about this, this idea of, hey, we got to submit. But, but pride says, I don't want to submit. A prideful heart doesn't submit very easily. You know, and I think Peter is trying to help us here uh, to, to, to submit 
right? Uh, he uses there in, in verse 5, he begins that sentence, even as he talks about submission, with a little phrase, in the same way. And so he's giving a hint here, you know, and if you're, if you're someone who, when you think about submission, you kind of, you can feel the defensiveness welling up within you, right? Maybe, maybe you know, you kind of pause for a second and think, okay, yeah, that is me a little bit. Someone telling me what I, what I don't want to hear and what I definitely don't want to do gets my pride going. Okay, if that's you, just think for a second here, because Peter is trying to disarm you, right? He uses the phrase, in the same way, or likewise, depending on the translation you're reading, to try to help you understand. You you don't want to submit to your leader, right? But you got to realize that that what you're saying you don't want to do, if they had that attitude, you wouldn't be okay with that, right? Because leaders are meant to submit to, right? Your shepherds are meant to submit to the chief shepherd. So he's saying, look, the, even your leaders have to submit, even your leaders are in an authoritative structure, right? And they have to submit to Jesus. And, and, and you, likewise, have to practice this submission. Because we can buy into this modern idea that, that freedom is, is never having to do anything I don't want to do, right? But even Peter's use of likewise, in some sense, he's trying to help you to see everyone is submitting to something or someone. Everyone does, right? The question is whether it's just going to be yourself Right, in, in all your infinite wisdom, right? Or is it going to be your career? If you're going to just, you know, what pour yourself into your career, and you're going to end up uh, submitting, making choices, doing decisions that maybe necessarily go against your will or your desire because you're committed to your job, right? Or sometimes we can get so, uh, you know, enamored with a relationship that we'll, we'll, you know, do whatever they 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 want us to do or trying to manipulate us to do, even if we don't necessarily want to do it. Uh, because in some sense, we've, we've put ourselves in a scenario where, man, we're, we're almost enslaved in that relationship. And Peter's poking at this idea of, hey, everyone, everyone submits to someone. But you've got you to think about who you're submitting. Because some of these alternatives are not great alternatives. Right? If the only person you ever submit to is yourself, that's, that's going to have some problems in your life. Right? You're going to have some difficulties in your relationships. Right? And the second thing he says there. Uh, I think to try to coax them into, into, you know, doing what they don't necessarily want to do in terms of submission is he refers to the, who, who they need to submit to is to your elders. And in some sense, he's trying to help them to see. I mean, well, at the end of the day, if you, have, if you have leaders that are leading like that, right? If you have leaders that are approaching uh, your life and are integrated, you know, involved in your life, not from a position of duty, but but literally desire. They, they, they willingly care about you and love you. If they're approaching it, not for what they can gain, but rather how they can help you, give to you, enrich your life, improve your life, enable you to live your life to the fullest as God wants you to live. Right? If they're coming to you and not, not lording over authority, not you know commanding you to do things, but man, trying to coax you and lead you and appeal to you to follow their example... Why would you not submit? I mean, their entire position, in some sense, is for your good. Their entire you know, purpose within the church, as God has ordained it, is to better your life spiritually, to equip you so that you can live a life that pleases God. You know, and, and I think Peter's trying to help them to see that. To understand, hey, look, if it's 
if it's functioning in this way, man, it's, there's a freedom about it uh, and, and a humility that obviously should enable us. This, this passage here that we're reading, uh, you know, between the leaders and, and uh, the, those who are following is almost, you know, the same as Hebrews 13, 7. You don't need to turn there, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Again, the writer of Hebrews in some sense says it more succinctly than Peter does, but it's the same idea, right? To consider the nature of that relationship. And I encourage you to think about it. How are you as a follower? Right? How are you with your Bible talk leader? How are you with me? Right? To think about that and think about that with, with some soberness uh, because that relationship tells you a lot about pride and humility in your heart. Uh, in some sense, the next section, Peter takes the gloves off and digs right into pride. And he has some strong things to say about pride. And then he quotes there from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, verse 34, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is quite interesting because he's been talking about relationships between people, hasn't he, right? Between leaders and followers, right? Uh, and, and, and using that in some sense to draw out pride, Right? And, and people who struggle with relationships with people because of pride, the reality is they are probably getting a glimpse in their relationships with people, a reality of a problem in their relationship with God that they're oblivious to. Right? Because Peter shifts gears flawlessly from talking about your relationship with people to talking about your relationship with God. It's almost the same thing that John does, the Apostle John, when he writes his letter you know, first, second, and third. John, he talks a, lot, a great deal about love, and he talks about the idea. You, you, you have a hard time loving people. You're kidding yourself if you think you can get away without loving people, and yet you love God. He's like, that's not even possible. If you can't love someone you can see, there's no way, no way you're loving someone who you can't see. Right? And Peter's almost doing the same thing here. But it's to see, look, if you find yourself uh, having authority issues all the time, that's probably telling you something about pride. And you got to think about that pride because that pride is not just affecting your relationships with people in this room or in your community or in your family, but it is affecting your relationship with God. And you may not believe that, but God's perspective is that it is. And, and, and the things God has to say about pride are pretty strong. I don't know if it gets, you know, I mean, it does get a little bit stronger than Proverbs 3, you know, verse, verse 34 there. God, that thought of God opposing you is kind of a scary thought, isn't it? And a God who has all power and all authority, the God who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, him setting himself in opposition to you because you in your heart of hearts to set yourself in opposition to him and to other people. That's kind of a scary thought, right? And like I said, it's not the scariest, right? You can look at Proverbs 26 on your own uh, where it talks about there's a whole bunch of things God hates, seven things God hates. Guess what number one is? Haughty eyes, which is all about pride. God hates it. Because there's something about pride that destroys the very fabric of relationships. And I encourage you to think about it. If your relationships aren't great, you've got to think, man, is there pride in there? Right? Now, humility is the opposite. Just as God is so strong in opposition to pride, he throws the gates wide open when it comes to humility. Right? Not opposing, but showing great favor. Right? And the appeal that Peter makes here in, in regards to all these relationship dynamics, whether it's with leaders and, 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 and followers or, or, or all of us in God, uh, it, it is an appeal to clothe yourself with humility. 
Clothe yourself with power. And I think a lot about why, why does he say it that way? And I think probably the reason he says it is because if we're all honest, there's pride in our hearts. And the word, you know, the phrase he uses there, clothe yourself, tie, 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 tie a knot around, you know, with cloth around your waist. It, it stirs up the image of Jesus at the last supper. Because what does he do? He gets up and he takes the servant's robe and he ties it around. He makes the decision to get up and put on the nature of a servant. And Peter, in some sense, is telling us, look, you, you want to have humility well, you need to make a decision to put it on. You can. It's a choice. It's a decision. All right? If you feel like, man, there's pride there, and it's like a monster I can't contain, well, no, you can. You can choose to clothe yourself with humility. Again, it's going to take time to change the heart, but you can make a decision every day to get up and, 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 cho- and choose the path of humility. Cover yourself with humility so that when, when the initial interaction with people is going to be one of humility. Because that's going to help to melt that pride uh, that dwells within us. You know, but it's a decision you've got to make. It's a decision you've got to make to, to put, put it on first and foremost. Uh, the second, you know, hint I think he gives us here in terms of the path of the humility is that, of, you know, when we, when we choose that path, we are putting ourselves under God's mighty hand. Which again is submission. <laughs> but a humble heart will do that. A humble heart will submit to God even when it's, man, God's mighty hand, which isn't really like an image of like God's mighty hand protecting you. It's more of like God's mighty hand disciplining you. But again, a humble heart welcomes discipline because a humble heart knows, man, I need help. I need correction. I need rebuking at times. I need to be trained. I need to be taught. I need someone over me in my life in some sense helping to direct me. Humble heart accepts that reality. And so this thought of God's mighty hand at work in your life, man, I'm fine to be under that because I know I'm a work in progress. I've accepted that reality, and that's what a humble heart does. You know, third and, and last, it practically appeals to us there along this idea of humility in our relationships is that of cast your anxiety and worry uh, or cast your anxieties on him. And it's kind of a funny thing. It almost can seem out of place. It almost seems like kind of like forgot to talk about anxiety. Let me check it out, you know, but... The reality is, anxiety has roots in pride. Anxious thoughts that, that run away and consume our minds, they, they have their roots in pride. We know this, you know, even from the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? When Jesus talks about worrying, what's his appeal? Is he, you can do all this worrying. Can, can, can all your worrying change anything? Can it add a single hair in your head? Because it's a control issue. And you're doing all this activity mentally, emotionally. Is it, is it actually able to produce anything? And of course, the answer is, as you can see, because I don't have much hair on my head, it's no, you can't do anything about that. Right? And this idea of you've got to let it go. You've got to cast it on God. Because He's able to accomplish whatever it is He wants to accomplish. And when we find ourselves in these spirals of anxiety and times, we've got to think, man, there's, a, there's an element of pride that, that, that has way too much confidence in self, in ourselves being able to control or manipulate or manage whatever it is that's driving us crazy mentally and emotionally. We've got, we got to throw it on God. Because we can't handle it. Uh, we need to have so much humility in our relationships. Can any of us, by worrying or being anxious, add a single hour to your life? Uh, and the reality is humility is happy to do what pride won't do. All right? Which is turn to God 
admit wrong, admit failures, invite other people to give, get help, give input, ask advice, right? Very, very different approaches to relationships, and of course God handles it in two very different ways. Uh, you, you think about even Peter, you know, spending his final words on this topic. It's an important word. It's very similar to even James, right? Uh, and, and with these general letters, First Peter and James are both kind of general letters to, to churches uh, at large. Uh, it's a it's a it's a church wide problem and a church wide need for us to have greater humility. Amen. Secondly, and, and shorter, a promise, right? Is is resistance to your enemy, right? You know, verse eight. He switches there, switches topics, and talks about the alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. All right? And, and you know, they are somewhat disconnected thoughts, but at the same time, they're not really. Because when there's pride, what comes? Downfall, yes, but conflict. All right? And when we get into conflict, people become our enemies. Right? And specifically leaders at times will become your enemies. Right? Some of you may feel like I am your enemy. Okay? That's a natural well, some of you probably do, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and that's a reality of the nature of that dynamic in in, in, in leadership and, and following. Alright? What is Peter saying though? Who's your enemy? The devil. All of our enemy is the devil. Uh, again, the church, you know, Paul says this, Galatians 4, verse 16. Again, you need to turn there. He appeals to the church in Galatia, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And sometimes it does feel like that. Sometimes people will bring truth to your life, and, and you'll feel like, man, they're the enemy. No, 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 Peter's saying, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And if you get that wrong, Profound effects for your life. Peter wants us to make sure we got, we have it in the right direction. You know, and he uses the image there of a, of a lion prowling, looking for, for someone to devour. Uh, you know, that's kind of obvious that you need to be alert and sober. Right? And if there's a lion in your room, in this building, you are going to be more alert and sober. You're going to be switched on. You're not going to be falling asleep. I'm going to be nodding off, right? Your adrenaline's going to kick in and you're going to be alert and you're going to be sober about the situation you're in. You know, if you've never read C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, encourage you, you know, especially if you're on school holiday, uh, you know, uh, well, most of you are not on school holiday, but sorry. If you have kids on school holidays, you have no time. Once school holidays is over, then you can read it, right? But it's a great read. And, and in the preface, because most people never read the preface, uh, there's actually a great little quote there. And C.S. Lewis says, he said, you know, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealth, unhealthy interest in them. All right, so he's saying, look, there's two errors. When you think about Satan and you think about his schemes and the devil and how he operates in this world, he says, there's two errors you can fall into. All right, you can disbelieve. Right? You can just believe in his existence, you know, accept him on some level because he's mentioned in the Bible, but really think, man, he doesn't really do anything. Right? Or you can become overly fascinated by him. Right? 
Both are errors, C.S. Lewis says. He says, talking about the, the, the demons, he says, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So the devil is happy, you know, C.S. Lewis is saying, if you're uh, not even believing in him or you're way over-fascinated in him. Right? Both errors are, are, are uh, satisfactory in his mind uh, because, and this is important to remember, the devil isn't, he's, ne- he's never really hell-bent on creating in you just complete and utter opposition to God. He's all about twisting. You know what I mean? He doesn't come to Adam and Eve in the garden and just flatly deny the existence of God. He just, he twists. He just distorts. Right? And and if we get in these different extremes, right, rather than being alert and sober, right, there there are dangers in there. And that's what, I think that's what Peter says, look, we gotta, we gotta see him as a roaring lion. We gotta be, we gotta be alert. And sober. The other thing he, he says there is he appeals to us to resist and stand firm in the faith. Resist and stand firm. And I, I don't know about you. I've never seen a lion. Anyone seen a lion? Like outside of the zoo, right? So some of the South Africans and Africans, right? You know, but but I mean, even the ones in the zoo that are behind, like I don't even know, like a foot of plexiglass. I mean, you know, I mean, it, there's an element of uh, you're on edge a little bit, and rightly so, right? But then you think about, okay, so Peter's used the image of a lion looking to devour you, to, to get you alert and sober, right? But then he's saying, but you'll be fine. <laughs> you can resist and stand firm, right? And I don't know if he's talking about, like, you know, prey runs, right? You ever heard that? But if you encounter a wild animal that can eat you, don't run away from it because only prey runs, right? Maybe, I don't think Peter's probably thinking on that level, right? But... You do think, gosh, man, okay, it's a lion and I need to be petrified, uh, but stand firm and resist. You'll be right. That's kind of a scary concept, right? But he adds in that little phrase there that's important, as you can see it on the screen there, in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. <laughs> Not in yourself. Not in yourself, right? Uh, you know, and this is almost the same concept as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, right? Where Paul writes, he says, No temptation is overtaking you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Our ability to overcome, you know, Satan, the adversary, uh, is not in your own strength. It's only because of God's faithfulness. It's only because of the God you serve. Your ability to resist temptation, to overcome whatever temptation comes your way, it's not because of your great infinite wisdom and understanding. It's because of God's word giving you everything you need for life and godliness. And that's what Second Peter will start with. Peter will say that, look, God's precious promises have given you everything you need. And so the solution for, for resistance and standing firm, being strong in the face of a great adversary is not yourself. It's always God. You know, and that's why Peter, you know, closes out, you know, with this great, you know, it's not a prayer. It's actually more of a promise. Right? He says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, that's a great little paragraph that that's chucked in there. Most 
you know, a lot of the New Testament letters end with prayers. And where Peter is different is he, he's declaring a promise. Like you want to know how to withstand in the midst of, you know, the sufferings they're going through and the rejection of the world and the hardship uh, of going counterculture in your life? Well, you know what? The solution is God. And, 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 and being God-centered in your life. Because what, what, who is the God we share we serve? He's a God of all grace. That's an incredible thought. That's an incredible thought. And you know, the God at his very core is not wrathful judgment coming on you. This is like John 10, you know, where Jesus says, look, I've, I've come that you can have life and have it to the full. That God is coming to, to, to mankind for us to flourish and be what we were created to be. And that's a lot of grace coming our way. You know, he contrasts there, you know what, there, there is an eternal glory that's coming. And you may be suffering for a little bit, but the contrast between man, eternal glory and a little bit of suffering is the same as Romans 8. Right? You know, temporary suffering is something far greater this eternal glory that is to come. You know, and, and here's what he's going to do. Restore you, make you strong, make you firm, and make you steadfast. All that you need for life, right? I mean, these are powerful verbs, right? I mean, to restore us. You know, we at times in our faith, you know, again, it's, it's a long journey. You're going to have times where, man, you, you feel like an old broken down car that needs to be restored. Brought back to working order. God can do that. You may at times feel incredibly weak. You think, man, I'm caught in a cycle of giving in to temptation, giving in to sin. Man, I got so much pride in my heart. I don't want to listen to anyone. Even if somebody looks at me funny, I'm getting defensive. Well, you know what? God, God can, he can help you get strong. Right? He can help you get back that humility. If you feel like, man, I'm on shaky ground. I mean, David sometimes is like that. Psalm 73 says, man, he has a complaint to God. He says, man, God, I look at the world. They got it easy. They've got no struggles. They're not worried about purity. They're not worried about holiness. And here am I trying to follow you. Man, this is hard. And he's saying, man, my feet are slipping. All right? But God helps them have a firmness to stand fast. All right? God can do that. You know, to make us steadfast. To give us the ability to stand in the midst of opposition. Again, Peter's closing out, you know, to, to a church that's undergoing suffering and hardship, saying, hey, here's what your God can do for you. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to humble yourself before Him. And when we do that, man, His mighty hand will train us and shape us and mold us into something great. And even if the hardships continue to persist, you know what? A far greater glory is awaiting you. And we've seen that every step of the way in 1 Peter, right? Every section, every paragraph, he's reminding us of the next, right? Even he talks about when he's talking even about the elders, he's saying, hey, live for an eternal crown, right? He says that to the fellow elders, yeah, I'm sharing your sufferings, but I'm also going to share in the glory. Peter never lost sight of that, you know, and we need to be a people who do the same, amen? So I encourage you, think about your relationships. How am I doing in my relationships, right? And if you feel like you're doing great, well, hey, get Get some input then and see how that's true, right? Submit to someone and see if that the nature of that relationship continues to, to, to show, man, that my heart's just full of humility, right? Reality is it's probably not. So we've got to learn to clothe ourselves with humility. And we've got to always remember who the ultimate enemy is. It's not Trevor. Right? It's not Alfred. They're Liverpool supporters. And then you may think, 
right? You know that they're no, no, I'm just kidding, right? Uh, but but seriously, it's not me. It's not Michelle. It's not your Bible talk leader. Satan's the enemy, right? And we got to all follow God and keep our eyes fixed on Him. Amen. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand together and sing one final song. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God of all grace. That's just, it's such a phenomenal thought to think about. You're the source of all good things, God, and we know we don't deserve any of those things. We pray, God, that you help us, God. Help us to be a people that, that willingly put ourselves under your mighty hand, God. We pray that as we do that, God, you restore us if we need restoration. You strengthen us if we're weak. You steady us if we're, if we're you know, wobbling or, or slipping in our faith, God. You help us to be steadfast. Help us to have that endurance that withstands all things, God, knowing that you are at work. You are purifying our faith, God. You are enabling us to, to have that, that, that faith that is of great quality because it is in you and you alone, God. Help us in all these things, God. Help us to, to take them with us, God, as we leave, God. Help us to think about them, you know, throughout the week, God, day in and day out. Help us to, to, to bring your word practically into our day in and day out choices that we make, God. Father, we pray that as we do that, you, you just shower us with grace and mercy. You give us much forgiveness, God, and you continue to guide us uh, with the help of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's all uh, stand together and sing.